Well, I join with Blake and the rest of our <coughs> church family to tell you that we're proud of you and that you have uh, certainly, uh, the word graduate means to take a step. So you've taken a step, correct? Like Blake said, provided you did graduate, uh, you've taken that step. But there are many steps in the future to come. Somebody said the easiest thing to decide is what you would do if you were in someone else's shoes. The problem with that is you never are, right? You're not. So today I want to study the Gateway Psalm, and not only for our graduates from high school, but maybe from college, or uh, Psalm 1 is appropriate for everyone in this building today as you hear it. We discover from this psalm that blessedness, to be blessed, relates to the way we live and the choices that we make. So Psalm 1 introduces the doctrine of two ways, which is a very common concept to think about the doctrine of two ways. Most of us are acquainted with Robert Frost's use of the idea in the poem, The Road Not Taken. You remember that little adage from there, anecdote, two roads diverged in the wood, and I, I took the one less traveled, and that has made all the difference. There are, of course, biblical examples that hold more weight than that poem, even though that's true, the roads that diverge, and you take the correct one. Listen to how that doctrine, the two ways, is expounded for us. Most scholars believe this is the absolute first time that you begin to see a comparison of the righteous and the wicked in the Bible. So that's highly important for us to think about. Now Jesus, of course, in the Beatitudes is going to strengthen the principle of two ways and talk about that. I will mention it in a few moments. But, you know, most of the time, without study helps, we used to learn that to find the book of Psalms, just split your Bible in the middle and open it. Did y'all find it? I don't know how you do that on your phone. I don't know if you split it down the middle for some of you, but the fact is, Psalm 1, you should be able to find it. It's called the Psalms, but when you call them individual chapters, you will refer to them as Psalm 1, 2, 3, 4, Psalm 150, right? Lest we say Psalms 1, not right. Psalms 2, not right. Okay, they're individual Psalms. uh, An individual Psalm that makes up the Psalms, or in the Hebrew, it's the word Psalter, and we know that it is the Hebrew hymn book intended for them to be sang or to sing it and that's why you have the notations and that's how it is to be used so did they sing in Hebrew you better believe it and you got a hymn book right there with 150 of them listen chapter 1 verse 1 blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season and it's not and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Conclusion, therefore, 
The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. And note this, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I think it's pretty clear here that there's only two ways. The way of the righteous, and the Bible says the way of the wicked. So, there are, of course, some ideas given to us in the New Testament regarding two ways. Uh, Jesus, most importantly, in the Sermon on the Mount, recorded for us in Matthew 5 through 7, talks about this. In the last section of the Sermon on the Mount, he gives contrasting understandings of choices that can be made. Do you know some of these young people? You got two roads, you got two gates, you have two roads, you have two trees and two types of fruit, you have two houses and two foundations. Don't build your house on the sandy land, right? But you build your house on the rock. So Jesus is heightening those two choices in life. The part regarding the two ways says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many go through it. Just hear that from Christ. But small is the gate. Narrow is the way. Can't take much with you on it. Can't have excess baggage. Narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. And only a few find it. Matthew 5, 13 through 14. So Psalm 1 is the clearest understanding, most carefully developed understanding of that expression of the two ways in life that is found anywhere in the Bible. Uh, this psalm has been uh, the subject of a lot of discussion because how does the psalm fit into the Psalter? Most people believe that Psalm 1 was the introductory comments and or scripture that leads you in to the Psalms as a whole. Interesting. In some scholarly manuscripts, Psalm 1 is not listed as Psalm 1. It's given as the introduction to the entire Psalter, and then Psalm 1 is actually Psalm 2. That's interesting because what that's telling you is, uh, there's two things about this Psalm. Number one, it's a wisdom Psalm, because it's dealing with two ways. But it's also a Torah Psalm. Now, that sounds difficult for you to understand, but in the Jewish understanding in Hebrew, Torah is the law. And in His law doth he, does He meditate day and night. So it's both a wisdom psalm and a Torah psalm, which is incredible. But here are two portraits that are given to us in our mind. The portrait of the godly man or the righteous man uh, who is on his way to eternal life now and in the future, but then the path of the wicked and his path ends in destruction. So the question then is posed, which are we? That's pretty applicable, right? If there's only two ways, which are we? So from God's point of view, there are two ways, only two ways, because there are only two kinds of people in this world, only two kinds. There are the righteous, and then there are the wicked. There is a comparison and contrast that is offered. And I could preach this this way, but I'm not. In the first two verses, you have guilt by association. One way or the other. Second, you have identifying fruits in verses 3 and 4. 
either the fruit that offers stability and fruitfulness or the fruit which is actually chaff that the wind drives away. Useless life, period. And then you have the ultimate consequences of the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. The way of the righteous, the Lord knows. And the way of the wicked, they will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the wicked. He knows the way of the righteous and the wicked. So, here is the way I'm going to preach this. Just four quick things. First, it is possible for a person to have a truly blessed, if you're in the UK, or blessed if you're in America, right? Really, you look that up. Uh, it will be blessed. Of course, we, in the beatitude sense, we say blessed is the man. Blessed. But you can say blessed or blessed, whichever one you want to say. But it's possible for a person to have a truly blessed life. Notice that phrase as this psalm begins. Oh, blessed. Oh, it's something like this. Oh, the blessedness of the man or the woman. In other words, how happy is the man who... Da-da. And then it's going to tell you what that actually looks like in the blessed life. So in biblical terms, what does it mean to be blessed or to have a blessed or blessed life? Well, it means to be rightly related to God so that your life is fulfilled and your experience is deep and personal and you have well-being and satisfaction. Now understand something. When you get to the New Testament, our full understanding is that righteousness is not something you can earn. Righteousness is not something you earn. It's something that's given to you from the outside but applied to your life to give you a right standing before God. So understand something up front. You don't fulfill these things in this text in order to gain a righteous standing. You're already righteous when you're in Christ. And this is the way you're going to live out your life if you are righteous. If you're not in Christ, you are of the wicked. And this is the way you're going to live your life out if you're of the wicked. However, there's nothing greater, more blessed. Happy is the man who finds himself in Christ and he is righteous. He is blessed by the Lord. Now this is the most likely uh, the most likely understanding of Matthew 5 is the same way. You, can, you might say it this way. Approved of God is the man. When Jesus gets to the Beatitudes, blessed are those who mourn. Approved of God are those who mourn over their sin. Approved of God are those, and as the Beatitudes go, it reminds us of that. So it's important to know that this is sort, this is a kind of happiness and blessedness that does not depend upon circumstances. And this is great for us, isn't it? It doesn't depend on our circumstances, and it doesn't come simply by seeking for it. And you young people can say, well, I'm going to spend my life seeking to be happy. Well, that's not the meaning here, that you're seeking after happiness. You find happiness not by seeking it, but by doing certain things and not other things. The blessing comes as a side benefit to your standing and the choices that you make. A wise man said that happiness is like a cat. Seek it and it will run from you. But go along about your daily business steadily, day by day, and it will come and curl up at your feet. Boy, isn't that so true about blessedness. And blessedness in life, as you go about your daily activities, honoring God as a righteous person, that doesn't mean you're perfect. Because if you read all the other 149 Psalms, son, there's some tough stuff in there. 
real tough stuff of what real life looks like. But all along the way, as a righteous person, meaning your standing is righteous in Christ, you understand how true this is. So mo- the most miserable people I know in this world are those who seek happiness, happiness by hopping from one party to the next party, or the next kick to the next kick, or the next drug to the next drug. True happiness and lasting contentment simply cannot be found that way. Psalm 1 assures us that it is possible to live a blessed and happy life, but you can only do that on God's terms and not your own. The world offers entertainment. It offers uh, cheap thrills, momentary highs and pleasures, but true happiness and authentic joy And peace can only be found in the Lord. Period. So it is. It's possible for a person to have a truly blessed or blessed life. Man, I want to sign up for that one. I already have. Right? No matter what the circumstances are, difficulties in life, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. But the ungodly shall perish. You know, I say a word to you. Young, you guys and gals, everybody in this church. The world has its parameters. The world has its uh, measuring rods of what makes you truly successful. God has different ones. There is the American way and there is the biblical way. And only the biblical way is right. We're living in an age of progressiveness all around us where it seems like that Christians have fallen and bumped their heads. And we'll address that coming up, but people don't think biblically anymore. Most people think, how can I be the most successful person in the world? How can I gain all of these things? And all the while, Jesus echoes in the background, what does it profit a man or a woman to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? We would choose to be blessed by the Lord in His way. Number two, that blessedness begins with the negative, not the positive. Now, uh, That may catch you off guard a little bit in this psalm. Blessed is the man who walks not. So there's the negative given first on this side of the ledger. And then it's a blessing to look at the positive, is it not? But he delights in the law of the Lord. We'll see that in a moment. But the blessing begins with what the righteous person does not do. Again, notice the terminology. It's not what the person does to become righteous. This is what a righteous person does. He does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of the scornful. So he does not walk in the counsel, he does not stand, he does not sit. There's a progression, is there not? I mean, if you're, if you're a Bible student, you see repetition, flag goes up. You see the categories of walk, stand, sit. You ought to think about that. Consider that progression, walk, stand, sit. First, the man is walking down the road. Then he stops to hang out with sinners, and eventually they prove to be pretty good company, and he sits down with intimate fellowship with them. What started as a casual contact ends up becoming a declaration of your personal allegiance. I don't care who you are, that's good preaching. Right? And that's exactly what happens in life. The counsel of the wicked means the advice of the morally unstable. I wish this was on, I would go... Just so it would echo in here. Yeah. Man, boy, that's so important where we get our advice, isn't it? Mm. We try to get it from the media or from those in the world, the intelligentsia who we think are so smart, 
but yet they're morally unstable. It's uh, a general term that describes the worldview, counsel the, unwe- counsel the ungodly. That's the worldview of those who do not know the Lord. How can we ever, as Bible-believing Christians, now that all truth is God's truth. Now if someone who is lost gives truth, that's truth still, okay? However, why would we want to take guidance from people who are outside the confines of the biblical understanding of what it means to be righteous. The way of sinners involves a series of lifestyle choices. Think about this. The seat of the mockers means to have close, intimate, long-term relationships and fellowship with those who reject the Lord. So the progression goes like this. Thinking, behaving, and belonging. Some of you parents, like I am, You've watched this in your children's lives, haven't you? And we deal with it all the time. Stinking thinking, leading to bad behavior, and then just completely getting sucked up into the world. And let, and be not conformed to this world. The J.B. Phillips translation, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. Mm. It's a good translation. That's what happens when the thinking and the behaving leads to belonging. Worldly wisdom leads to worldly action, which results in worldly fellowship. And let's be clear. Blessings come not only from what we do, but also from what we don't do. Blessedness, or blessed people, avoid certain things, and they avoid certain people in certain situations. They don't hang out just anywhere. And they don't quickly jump into any line of thinking. You've got a mind that ascertains truth and listens. And they're careful not to join themselves with a company of people who do not love the Lord. Sin never stands still, does it? It always moves to control us. Look at that progression. Stand. uh, Walk. Stand. Sit. It always moves. What starts as a casual contact leads actually to increasing closeness which leads to permanence of association. Eventually, there's an increased boldness even with your attitude where evil is accompanying it and you have a lowering of your inhibitions. The things you used to do, you wouldn't ever entertain doing. It's kind of like sitting in the dark. Your eyes start becoming accustomed to it and you don't even realize you're in the dark at all. Mm. Permanence happens, full association. You know, we laugh at jokes that once we would think were very crude, but now we think they're just kind of funny. Compromise our values in ways we never thought we would ever do that. And we consent to things that would have greatly troubled us in the past, but we've become desensitized to sin. We've become desensitized to the things that are outside the way of God. Period. It happens. Now, let me give you some Alabama lay terms. Or let me say Georgia lay terms. Lest you miss this and I'm not clear. If you sleep with the pigs and eat with the pigs and run with the pigs and hang out with the pigs, talk with the pigs, talk like the pigs, laugh like the pigs, dress like the pigs. In short, if you basically do what pigs do, you shouldn't be surprised when you end up smelling like pigs, sounding like pigs, looking like pigs. In the end, you are indistinguishable to pigs. Unless you think I'm wrong, 
Listen to the parable of the sheep and the goats. You don't want to be a goat. Nope. You want to be a sheep. So it is. You're going to become like the people you are around. And this is true whether good or evil. How you doing with that, folks? Not just, not just our graduates, but maybe even our church members that have been here for 40 years. How would you say you're doing with that one? Number three, that blessedness comes from building your life on the Word of God. Man, this is the positive start side of the ledger, isn't it? Now we come to the positive side. Having refused to walk in the way of evildoers, we instead focus on knowing God's Word. Why do you do this? Because the only way you're ever going to float the rubbish out of your life is to put the good water in. Right? And we are, we're so good about telling our children, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But we don't give them the positive. And if you're going to float the rubbish out of your life, you've got to put in the Word of God. You've got to believe it first. Right? You've got to settle that in your heart that this book is inspired by God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. And that's what we need. We need instruction in righteousness. And notice the text. It says, in His law doth He delight. Yeah. He delights in the law of the Lord and He meditates in it. And so, that, that delights, but He delights. You could see that as a coordinating conjunction and say, well, this is just the opposite. Well, it's a little stronger than that. It's not like just the but and. It is really what you heard preceding this is not the right way. But the right way is to delight yourself in the law of the Lord. So the alternative to the wicked way is to immerse your life daily in Yahweh's Torah. The word of the Lord. That means you've got to love the word of God. You've got to love the Holy Scriptures. You've got to love the Bible. Word delight, again, take pleasure in. It becomes your all-consuming passion in life. It controls your life. I know that may sound foreign to you, but I'm telling you, folks, that's the only true blessed life, is to have the Word of God in you, your mind immersed with God's Word. I didn't make this up, did I? This is what the Word says. But He delights in the law of the Lord. You know... Everyone delights in something. Some people delight in food. I do at times, right? Uh, you may delight yourself in a career or a particular hobby. Some delight in a particular friendship. That's when their life goes awry and they fall apart if they were to lose a friendship, right? Many people delight in money or things that money can buy. Uh, many people delight in pleasures. Mark this well. Here's the deal. Your delight determines your direction. Whatever you delight in most is going to determine your direction. What do you delight in? What, what gets your motor running? What makes you excited in the morning and in the evening? When you wake up at night, what are you thinking of? What do you daydream about? If you tell me the answers to those questions, I will tell you something crucial about who you are. To delight is to be so excited about something that you just can't wait. Just watch that young couple. I have three or four couples recently and now that I've been dealing with in uh, premarital counseling. All I have to do is watch those couples to find out where their passion is, what they're delighting in, right? 
ask their friends, and they'll say, that dude's not the same guy he used to be. All he talks about is that girl, right? With a goofy grin on his face, right? Well, he's in love. By the way, you don't fall in love. You grow in love. That is a mistaken notion, period. It's a misnomer. Wait till you're married 28 years and you'll know what love is. You don't know what it is at the marriage altar, right? You think you do, but the most important thing at that marriage altar is something called the will of God and commitment to the one that God has sovereignly given you. And then every day is a love affair with the Lord God Almighty and that spouse God has given you. And if it never moves to the intimate expression of love beyond the physical, you're in trouble. It is way, 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 way more than that. So it is. Now apply that to the principle of the Word of God. What do you delight in? The strength of the force of the Scriptures that we delight in the Word of the Lord. You delight in the Word of God like that love letter sent to you by your beloved. Well, it has been sent to you by the person who loved you more than anybody could ever love you. So the word translated meditate, when somebody said that out loud, is the idea of digesting something thoroughly. In the South, we would say, man, we're just standing around chewing the cud. That means we're talking, thinking. Well, that's literally uh, how that word progresses. You ingest the word. You chew the cud. You look at the word of God from various angles. When should we meditate? Well, I think any time's better than none. Any time is better uh, than any time is a good time. There's no wrong time to meditate on the Word. But don't you think the psalmist is on something? But in his law does he delight and he meditates on it day and night? I think it would be a good thing to start off the day. Our motto used to be no Bible, no breakfast. Start off the morning with the Word so that you're thinking on the Word of God and you end your day. I think that's the way to start well and end well as we think about the Word of God. We have our minds disciplined Think about 2 Corinthians. Let every thought come under the, under the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. Casting down every vain thing in imagination, every stronghold that holds itself up against Christ. How can you do that without having the Word of God hidden in your mind and heart? You can't do that without it. So the Word of God, at the end of the service, we're going to recognize our Bible drillers just for a moment. But wasn't it an awesome thing to have the Word before you as you... Delight in it as you meditate on it. And okay, how about memorization? Preacher, I just can't do it. Well, you, some of you ladies have memorized your recipes that you cook. And some of you men, you have memorized extensively uh, your fishing tackle, right? You surely remember what lure will catch what why do you remember that? Well, you remember it because of practice. And folks, you got to put the word, Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do all that is written therein. Then you shall make your way prosperous and have good success. You have to take time to put the word of God into you. So we, we need to find time to read it, to meditate on it, ruminate is the word, in you, and then... You memorize it. All right, number four. Y'all ready? We're going to land the plane. That blessedness results in stability and fruitfulness. Listen to the word. He shall be like a tree planted. That is a past 
passive voice participle. Somebody is planting you there. You didn't plant yourself. There's somebody working on the, the object of the planting is a master gardener. God plants you there. This is the work of God doing this. He is like a tree planted. Somebody did the planting. God did it by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. Check out the resulting instability and fruitlessness of those who are wicked. They're not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. So the blessedness results in stability and fruitfulness. The person who builds his life on the word is like a tree planted by the rivers of water and his life will be marked by stability and fruitfulness. Let's look at that. First, stability. Again, they're planted there by the Lord. We're planted by a master gardener in the place where we receive the most amount of nourishment so that we will actually flourish. In other words, the idea of planted by the streams of water speaks of a mighty tree planted uh, that springs forth with large branches and deep roots that go way down into the earth. We know this, don't we? That most of the time when you see a big, giant, healthy tree, the root system is as big as a tree or bigger. I watched Mr. Phil knock down trees on my property. And you know when it's real rocky, just, you know, it just knocks that thing over quickly. But it's the ones that root, the root system is so much, much larger than the actual tree that holds itself firmly. This is how the mighty sequoias last for centuries. They have an unseen root system that gives them stability against the changing forces of nature. So... When times of winter come, or you have summer droughts, or the roots, we know the roots go deep, they hold in place, they ensure that it has the same amount of, I mean, the right amount of moisture and nutrients, no matter what the season is. That's what a good root system will do for you. How about you Baptists? What kind of root system do you have? Foundation has to be the Word of God. You've got to know the truth of God's Word. So... How do you know when a tree has good roots? When the storms come. How's your life when it's knocked out of kilter? When things go, they don't go the way you think they should, be, they should have gone. All trees look pretty good in the sunshine. Just like the house that was built upon the sand. Before the storms come. Before the fierce rain comes and the wind comes. Then the true difference is going to be apparent. Trees... With roots, with no roots or few roots are blown over. But the ones that have firm roots, planted, nourished, they stand when the storms come through. So are the children of God. You won't know how good your root system is until the storms of life crash into you. I got news for you guys and gals. You're 18, 17, 18, 19. Vincent's 20. No, I'm kidding. But you finish school. And you think... And I look back on that, man, those were the gravy days. Life really hits you when you get done with high school. You've got to make other decisions about life, and, uh, marriage, so many things. So you're moving away from that. I'm telling you, you're going to have some times where you get crashed, where you get difficulty smashing into you. And the only way to be ready for the storm is to spend time delighting in the Word of God, day by day, meditating on His truth, building a deep foundation. So you'll be strong no matter what comes your way. And if you heard me say that and you said, huh, don't care, then you're of the wicked. If you don't delight in the Word of God, folks, there's only two ways. Now, it could be that you're backslidden. 
and you're just out of the will of God right now, but you're still in trouble then because the Lord is coming in with the pruning shears. And if you belong to Him, He's going to cut you. And it's not going to feel good. But He does it because He loves you. In America, we think the most unloving thing is to tell people they're wrong. God will tell you up front you're wrong. Right? He'll tell you up front that something's not right. It's a miss. And that's why the Bible says in Hebrews 12, Whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. Every one of them. Listen. And if you do not receive the chastisement of God, you're a bastard. And you don't belong to the Lord. I say bring on the discipline. Bring it on. Because it lets me know that my Father loves me and He's going to discipline me. Why? Because the end result is not my happiness. But for me to be conformed to the image of His Son. Romans 8, 28, 29. That's what God is doing in us. And finally, fruitfulness. The contrast is acute. Now listen to this. Between fruitful tree and useless chaff, between well-watered stability and dry, dusty, wind-blown impermanence. So to speak of fruit in its season means that we're producing fruit that is an expression of our inner character, right? Uh, You're not actually producing the fruit yourself because John 15 tells us that God does that through you. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. You just hold it out there like a big grape rack to drop it out. But where does it come from? It comes from the inner character that God has fashioned in you, right? Uh, let's say, God, I, you know, how do you know a fruit tree? Well, if it's an apple tree, it ought to produce. Yeah, if it's an orange tree, yep. But if there's no vital union with the vine, you're not going to produce anything. That's why Jesus said, abide in me and I in you, right? So whatever is on the inside must eventually come out on the outside. It's true of your spiritual life. This means that when our roots are deep in the Word of God, Whatever we need of the fruit of the Spirit, we can call on our God and He'll give it to us. If you need love from the Word of God, He'll give you the strength to love. Right? If you need a forgiving spirit, don't we need some of that? Yep. You ask the Lord, it's in you. Why? Because the fruit of the Spirit of God is in you. If we need courage, uh, that's produced in us from the Lord. God will do so. This is, sort, this is a supernatural life available to every believer. Why? For I have been crucified with Christ. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You live your life through the one who actually you're crucified in Christ. Nevertheless, we live. Yet it's not I that lives, but Christ in me. He is the source of life. Now, many people who seem successful by worldly standards one day will be told... Or will we be judged as ultimate failures by God? Right? Doesn't matter what your pedigree is. You can have as many degrees as a thermometer. Doesn't matter what kind of pedigree you get. Doesn't matter what kind of education you get. This text says there's only two ways. And the Lord knows the way of the righteous. But the ungodly shall perish. There isn't much we can do about this uh, except... In the, in the courts of the world, there's not much you can do about the way the world perceives us. But I don't think you ought to be most concerned about what the world thinks. According to this text, you can't do much about their evaluation of you. But you can do something about God's evaluation of you. If we're faithful to Him, everything will come out all right in the end. I promise you. The happiest people in the world are those whose lives are built on the Word of God. 
And that's my encouragement to you. I think we can state that in a more forceful way. The only true blessed people in this world are those who are living out the prescription of Psalm 1. That's the truth. Others may be happy in a temporary worldly sense, but it's fast and it's fleeting. Life is a vapor. It's here for a moment and gone the next. You may be happy in the worldly sense right now because you can get your kick somewhere, whether it's drugs or sex outside of marriage, wherever that kick comes from. But one of these days, you're going to stand before the Almighty. You are. And there's only two ways. The way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. Mm. The way of the righteous is reserved for the child of God. And I pray you know the Lord. You may say, well, how do I become a righteous person? You've got to know the righteous one. Why is that the case? Because the Bible says, for all have sinned. You know what God created you for? Ultimately, He created all of us for His glory. But here's what we learn from the Bible. All have sinned and fall of the glory of God. All because of Genesis 3. How is that glory? How, how is it that we are moved from a place of enmity, the wicked, that means you're in a place of enmity against God, right? You're not in a righteous standing. The only way you can have a right standing before God is to accept His ultimate gift of righteousness to us, which is the Son of God who left heaven, came down to this earth, and lived a perfect life, fully righteous, having never sinned. Fully God, fully man. And He took that perfect body to the tree of Calvary, after having never sinned and paid our ransom, paid our debt, atonement at one moment, settled the access to God only through a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And when you turn from sin and self and trust Jesus only, then He gives to you His righteousness. He that knew no sin became righteousness for us that the righteousness of God might be in us. Whew, that's good stuff. Today, you can't be righteous by living Psalm 1. You become righteous by trusting the righteous one, Jesus Christ, to forgive your sins and be your Lord. And then, the way of the righteous is depicted in, in Psalm 1. Where are you? Where are you today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your holy word. God, thank you for just getting into the Old Testament this week and studying Psalm 1. And although I didn't do it justice, there's no way. With all that is in that psalm, and how it projects out through the entire Psalter. God, help us. Help the one in here that is lost, and they need the righteousness of Jesus given to their account. Father, help Christians. Father, we, are, we have an onslaught, onslaught of media, progressive Christianity. The list goes on and on that it's just infiltrating our churches and and life, and colleges, and seminaries, everywhere, Lord. And Father, I pray that we would remember the Word of God. That we would understand Your Word and stand on Your Word. It's not popular. But believers that are righteous will go Your way, according to this psalm. We will not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of the scornful. We will not do that if we belong to you. If we start down that road, you will discipline us and convict us because your spirit lives in us. And Father, we, we say to you that we feel that progression sometimes. And we thank you for your spirit that you convict us. And we thank you for the verse we saw on the board today. 
If we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We call out to you to do that. We need a cleansing in our church. We need a commitment not to be mean-spirited when it comes to the truth, but to stand on the truth no matter the cost. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.